Thank you, Dave. Thanks for the privilege of uh, being here this morning, be able to share with you. 2011 is over. I hope it was a good year for you. Uh, For some of you, it might have been a great year. For others, you might be in the recovery mode or even adjusting to a new normal. But here we are at 2012, and none of us knows what's in store for us for 2012. And yet, we don't have to be fearful or anxious uh, because He lives, we can face tomorrow. And we know that He will keep us day by day. So what is life all about? The, The mess comes from the fall. Hebrews or Romans 5.12 says, Through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. And God is using the mess, He's using the challenges to accomplish His purpose. He's got an objective for us. He's got a goal for us. And so all those unknowns, all those challenges, all those frustrations, all those sorrows and disappointments, Romans 8.28, he says he's using them for good to accomplish his purpose. And what is his purpose? That's in verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And so God is at work to conform us to the image of Christ. Now, if that's the goal, if that's the objective to become like Christ, we may have come a ways, but we've got a long ways to go, don't we? And so the name of the game of the Christian life is is all about change, being changed. And so that's the message today. Be transformed. Now, being conformed to the image of Christ is is an ongoing process. And that's uh, precisely what the Bible means in uh, Romans 12 too, when it uses that word, to be transformed. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, Philip says. But be transformed. Be being transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable or well-pleasing, perfect will of God. That word is only used four times in the New Testament. Twice it's used... Uh, of Jesus and the transfiguration. Once it's used here. Another time it's used in 2 Corinthians 3.18 where he talks about the Holy Spirit working in us, making us more and more like Jesus. We're being changed from glory to glory. Well, how serious am I about being changed? I don't know about you, but I kind of resist change. I'm a, I'm a routines guy. I can get stuck in a rut. And so I have to I have to work at being open to change. Not too long ago I was stopped at a red light behind a car in front of me. The light turned green. One one thousand, two one thousand, three one thousand, four one thousand. Hey moron, are you gonna drive or park? 
I've got important business to do. You know, I've got to meet with the pastor at the church. Love on people, right? Okay, I didn't really yell at him. I didn't even say it out loud, although there were times where that would have been said out loud. I just thought it. Is that okay? Uh, I've learned to manage sin. Control it. So I, I just thought it. The Bible wants to take us a lot deeper. You know the verse that God brought to mind when that happened was uh, Matthew 5.22. And He says, uh, Anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. And so, I want to change. We ought to be the salt of the earth. Jesus said we're the salt of the earth. We can't be part-timers. We're either salt or we've lost our saltiness. We're the light of the world. And uh, George Barna, who uh, died recently, but they, the, they did a lot of religious surveys, he said, we rarely find substantial differences between the moral behavior of Christians and non-Christians. What an indictment on the church. The church has become more like a social club practicing our respectable sins. But we're going to look at several verses today as we go through and talk about this process of being transformed. And so uh, I would encourage you to, to jot down some references. You can... We're going to go pretty quickly, so you can look them up later, but, but I want you to have them. And, uh, because the, the power of Scripture, there's nothing more powerful than Scripture. But our main text today, Romans 12.2, Don't be conformed to the world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now why the gap? Why the gap between what we say we believe and what we actually do, the person we think we are, and the way we live? It's not a new struggle. Paul struggled with the same thing. In Romans 7, he said, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I do not do the good I want, the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. And he lamented that throughout the passage and he finishes up with, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, the good news. So how do we close the gap? Well, this may go without saying, but let's make sure we hear it. You can't live the Christian life without being a Christian. Many try. But you can't live the Christian life without being a true believer, a follower of Christ, having Christ in you, giving you the power to change. And uh, that might be the first place to begin. If you're struggling with a besetting sin, never been able to get the victory or get any, pro any progress, 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail the test. 
It's a good place to check, to make sure you're really a believer in what the Bible says about being a child of God. Another big qualifier is lordship, the lordship of Christ. Is He really Lord of every area? You've heard this saying, if He's not Lord at all, of all, He's not Lord at all. And so every area surrendered, and that's an ongoing process, giving it up to the Lord, letting Him have His way, being in charge, not reserving the veto power. If you want to talk more about that, you can talk to me after the service or talk to Pastor Dave or someone else. How do I know I'm really a child of God? What is the process of surrendering to Him? So, having said that, the process is the same wherever you are on the journey of growing, of growing in godliness, of being transformed. What are the besetting sins? What are the issues, the challenges you're faced with in life right now? Before we talk about some of those, let's pray. Just commit the time to the Lord again. God, I thank You. You are Creator God. Nothing's too difficult for You. And that's what we're talking about today, that it's all about You and our hope in You and the work You are doing in us. And so, Lord, we do pray like the psalmist. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful, hindering, sinful, wicked way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. And Lord, I would pray too this morning for each each person here. And the struggles that we face. Lord, give us a glimpse. Give us a vision of what you have for us. What is possible in Christ. And Lord, I pray that we would reach our highest potential in Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some of our besetting sins, and uh, this is probably more confession than it is preaching, Uh, pride. Jerry Bridges wrote a book called uh, Respectable Sins. And those are really hard to deal with because they're so respectable. And uh, we tend to overlook and excuse ourselves and justify ourselves. But pride is the bent that says, I want to be God in my life and decide for myself what's right and wrong, what's good and bad. Uh, if, you've, uh, if you've memorized Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord. And it says, acknowledge Him in all your ways and He will make your paths straight. You know, I never did understand that. What's that mean to make your path straight? And then as I was preparing this message, it kind of, hey, pride is the bent that bends everything we do. The way we think, the way we make decisions, our values, and he's all about making us straight. Dealing with the issue of pride. Pride can be extroverted or introverted. It can be, hey, look how great I am, how well I do, what I've accomplished. Or it can be, I'm no good. I can't do anything right. The focus is the same, isn't it? It's me. And that's what pride is all about, focused on me. Pride can be deceptive. Often pride...
pride. I, I, I think of pride like a... And you parents will understand this. Pride is like a dirty diaper. You know, it's obvious to everyone but the kid who's wearing it. And that's what pride is like. Everyone can see it. Everyone senses it. Peter says, God is opposed to the proud. He resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. That's why He invites us to humble ourselves in the presence of God, to receive the grace to live that, to walk that straight path. Well, in his book, Respectable Sins, Jerry says there's, there's another sin that's even more basic, more widespread, more apt to be the root cause of our other sins. And he says that's the sin of ungodliness. Ungodliness. What is ungodliness? Ungodliness describes an attitude towards God. Whereas our unrighteousness refers to the sinful actions, omissions, commissions of thoughts, word, and deed. Ungodliness may be defined as living one's everyday life with little or no thought of God, or of God's will, or of God's glory, or of my need for Him, our dependence upon Him. We're thinking of verses like 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. One of the most telling indicators of ungodliness is a meager desire to develop an intimate relationship with Him. You cannot plateau and coast for very long in the Christian life without losing ground. You know, that happened to Rehoboam. Second Chronicles 12.14 talks about Rehoboam. It says he did evil, not because he intended to. It says he did evil because he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. He just failed to seek after God. Another one of those respectable sins is, is doing the right things. Think we're doing the right things without questioning why. What is, what is my real motive here? Why do I come to church? Proverbs 16.2 says, All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. And so he's interested in our attitude. The attitude even behind spiritual disciplines is very important. Motive is critical to sustaining a right practice. Maybe you've heard that saying, discipline without desire becomes drudgery. It's going to be hard to keep it up. Another, maybe this is one that plagues so many, a lack of a forgiving spirit. Bitterness is a huge drain. Matthew 6, 14 and 15, right after the passage we're memorizing this month, the Lord's Prayer. He says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sin, your Heavenly Father will not forgive your sin. I think forgiveness is God's greatest miracle. He could speak the world into existence. He can heal people with a word, but He had to die to say, I forgive you. And not only to forgive us, but He empowers us to be able to forgive one another, whatever the offense. A great miracle. 
Well, the deeds of the flesh are many, and we're all well familiar with those. That's uh, Galatians 5, 19 to 20, lists deeds of the flesh. You may be saying, well, you know, that's what I'm struggling with. I'm still struggling with anger, gambling, stealing, lying, addiction to pornography, uh, gluttony, envy, jealousy, those kinds of things. Well, uh, whatever, you know, when we talk about the process and the, of being transformed, it's the same. Whether we're dealing with our respectable sins or whether those deeds of the flesh that we all know are wrong. The first step to real change is a vision, a glimpse of how God wants to change us so that the change that He wants to make in us, the end state God wants for you, to be conformed to the image of Christ. Does God just want you to manage sin better or to really set you free? Galatians says it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Uh, but John 8.36 If Christ sets you free, you are free indeed. That's what He wants for us, is real freedom. So what is your besetting sin? What's the big challenge? What's the thing that, that you keep coming back to, getting discouraged over? What would freedom look like? What really is possible in this life as far as living for Christ, living in victory? Maybe many would say, well, it would be uh, no lustful thoughts, or I wouldn't be fearful, I wouldn't be anxious. I wouldn't be worrying. I'd, I wouldn't, I'd be dead to self and alive unto God, like Romans says. Or it'd be, I'd be praying more consistently and in faith, believing God for the nations. Well, look at point A. Point A is where you are today, where I am. And, and think of point B as, as, as you think of what you know and what you understand of God and Scripture and, and life and experience. That's, that's possible. I could make it to point B in this life. And then think of point C as just letting your imagination go, go wild. Wow, wouldn't it be great if only... What can you imagine possible as far as living like Jesus in this life? Okay? Now, here's the tremendous hope. Ephesians 3.20. I like it in the Living Bible. Now, glory be to God, who by His mighty power at work within us is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. Whatever you can imagine possible, God is able to do far more. And so, that applies to our struggles, our besetting sins, the things that tend to trip us up. Now, transformation is the work of the Holy Spirit. We said Romans 12 too. Uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How is the mind renewed? Titus 3.5 says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. 
Holy Spirit renews us. Now we have a part. We have we have effort. We have we have things to do. Let's talk about what that is. Dallas Willard in his book Renovation of the Heart, and he's talking about how do we really change. He says it's it's three things: vision. And we just talked about vision. What is what is possible? What can I imagine? And then being confident that God is able to do even infinitely beyond that. But then we need intent. We need intent. We need to intend to change, to really follow through, to have a response. It's the earnest attitude in our heart that God, if you'll make make it clear to me what what I need to do, what I need to believe, what I need to think, that's what I'm going to do. And that's that lordship issue. And so then what is the means? The means is the is the transforming power of God. Now many of you have some tremendous determination and self-discipline and you've been able to make some great changes. And I say if you're you're able to change, do it. Make those changes. But the real transformation from the inside out can only be accomplished by God. The means of lasting change is grace. We were just singing about that. Grace. Now, grace is unmerited favor, but it's much, much more. I like Philippians 2.13. For it is God who is at work in you, giving you the desire and the power to change. My definition of grace. And so don't deny grace. Appropriate grace by faith. Now in the process of transformation, there is work to be done. There's energy to be expended. Another word in Scripture for change is the word repentance. It means to change one's mind or purpose, to think differently. It's a change of heart resulting in a change of view, a change of behavior, change of action. And uh, remember Christ's first command. Matthew 4.17 His very first command Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, for a long time I thought of that as kind of a threat. Repent or else judgment's coming. Repent or you're doomed. I don't think that's the way Jesus did that. I think it was like this. Repent. For all the power of God is available to bring it about in your life. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Is that my part is more in the area of surrender, more in the area of giving up and giving it to Him and believing Him to do it. It's not a pulling myself up by my bootstraps, changing myself. So what is my part? First of all, it's to believe. To believe that He is God. To believe that He can do it. The John 6.29 This is the work of God. That you believe in Him whom He has sent. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith it's impossible to please God. He who comes to God must believe that He is. And that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. That He is Creator God. 
He can do anything. He can change you. He can give you freedom. He can give you victory. Part of believing is responding. As we believe, as we listen, as we draw near to God, as we understand what He wants me to do, then we need to respond. And be diligent, be wholehearted. So as you seek God, listen to Him. He may give you specific things to do or not to do. That's what you want to hear. That's what you want to understand. Not what you think others expect you to do. What is God showing you to do? 2 Peter 1.3 He talks about by His divine power He's granted to us all we need for life and godliness. Through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. So let me simplify. Really all we need to do is get to know God. So for our response, let me suggest a process. First of all, confess. Confess your sin. Agree with God it is sin. We call it a mistake. God calls it sin. We call it poor judgment. We call it an oops. He calls it sin. Call it what it is. Confess sin to God. Agree with Him that it's sin. Confess our helplessness. Matthew 5.3 Blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor. That's the utterly destitute. They can't just barely make it. They can't make it at all. The poor in spirit will not. God, it will not change if you don't change me. Confess it to someone else. The James 5.16 Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. And then uh, cry out to God. Cry out to God and listen. Now I say cry out, uh, you know, when, when David was confessing his sin in Psalm 51, confessing his sin with Bathsheba, he was saying, I don't think he was crying out quietly or thinking a prayer. I think he was crying aloud, God, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Don't take your spirit away from me. Lead me in righteousness and truth. Psalm 3.4 He says, I was crying aloud. I was crying to the Lord with my voice. And He answered me from His holy mouth. So cry out to God and listen to what He would say to you. Be persistent. Ask. Keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock. Keep on knocking. His promise. Results. And listen. You know, if Exodus 6 says the people did not listen once the going got tougher. They were going through the wilderness because of their despondency. They got despondent because God wasn't doing what they wanted Him to do when they wanted Him to do it. And that's really the essence of sin, isn't it? Insisting on my own way. Remember, it's an all-of-life approach. And whatever God brings to mind, write it down. To you, it may not have anything to do with your struggle. But do it anyway. Do it anyway. God's going to, is working on hearing your prayer, answering your prayer. How does God speak to you? It might be an impression. Most often, it's through Scripture. 
versus your studying, reading. That's why we're memorizing Scripture. That's why we've got the Bible reading program. It's usually through Scripture. As you read, study, memorize, meditate on it, there's nothing more powerful than the Word of God. And then do. Do whatever He shows you to do. You know, without a commitment to do, you probably won't hear. John 7, 17, He says, uh, If anyone is willing to do His will, then he'll know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak for myself. And so that willingness to do, that commitment to follow through, is even crucial to the understanding, to the hearing. Faith and love are demonstrated by obedience. First John 2, 3, by this we know we've come to know Him. If we obey, if we keep His commandments. Okay, so we've got this struggle. We've been confessing. We've been crying out to God. And we're trying to do what He shows us to do, but we're still failing. What now? Persevere. Keep on running the race. That's the principle in uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Lay it aside. Agree with God its sin and set it aside. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. Keep looking at Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. So keep looking at Jesus. In my early 20s, God began revealing to me more graphically the extent and stench of my pride. I was one of those little kids. Everybody knew it but me. And uh, But as he started revealing pride to me, uh, I, I thought, how can I even call myself a Christian? And I grieved. And I, I went from thinking in my early teens that, man, I need to go out and sin so God can forgive me and, have a, and I'll have a testimony, to... Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? I, I could agree with Paul, I'm the chief of sinners, because what is more like Satan than spiritual pride that says, I'll be like God, be like God in my life. So when God makes me aware of those pride issues, I agree it's sin. I grieve. I claim the blood of Jesus. I cry out to Him, what, what do I need to do? I'm praying for a lot of other drivers these days. Blessing on them. Richness in their life. And uh, the process goes on. Not too long ago, one of my daughters shared with me some things that deeply grieved me. It had to do with offensive attitudes of pride. And I, I cried. I asked her forgiveness. I thanked her for sharing it with me. I asked her to keep helping me. When that comes across. In summary, what do we do? What's the process? Well, we confess. We cry out to God. We listen. What's my part? What do I do? What's repentance look like for me today? Do what He shows you to do, whether it seems connected or not. And then lay it aside. 
Keep looking at Jesus. Let's pray. What are the things that you're struggling with? Has God brought to mind an area of a besetting sin or failure that has you discouraged, keeping you down? If he's, when He brings it to mind, He's brought something to mind right now, just quietly confess it to God. And examine, do you really want to change? Do you really want His help? To whom, who else will you confess it to and bring it to the light? Determined to do that. Cry out to God later. Right now, just ask Him for godly sorrow that leads to genuine repentance. Ask Him to keep you from that worldly sorrow that leads to death. Ask Him to help you know the difference. Pray, what what does repentance look like for me today? And then listen. Ask God to bring to mind Scripture that applies. Write it down. Your thoughts, the verses, impressions that come to your mind. Pray those to God. And then, what is He saying to you? Is there an action item? Either to do or not do. Determine to follow through. And then, just lay it aside. If we keep looking at our sin, we become like what we're focused on. And so, lay it aside and look at Jesus. What will you do to focus on Jesus? His death, His resurrection, his, the victory that He's bought for you with His own blood. What do you think it means to live out of who you are in Christ, a new creature? Old things passed away, all things become new. And then determine to live for Him. Lord Jesus, thank You for this day. Thank You for this opportunity. Thank You for where we are in life, the mountaintops and the valleys, all the things that You are using to perfect Your work in us. You said You will do that until the day of Christ Jesus. And thank You for this opportunity to remember Your death, Your sacrifice for us, and redemption, and the power that raised Jesus from the dead working in us to raise us up, to make us new, to, tr- to be transformed, to look more and more like Jesus day by day. We give you the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.